So here we are, Mark, just coming right on top of mid-August and doing some pre-records, but boy, we're going to have to hit the ground running with all the writing I'm doing on 100 churches in order to get 26 in by the end of this summer. We can do it. We can do it. So weird thing happened the other day, Mark. So you're off running errands and I pop into the shower and get dressed, come out and putting things away. And I look and suddenly in my fridge, like you're still gone on your errands as expected. In my fridge, I open the fridge and it was super confusing because there's this whole baked chicken. And Not just any chicken. Uh Costco chicken. A Costco chicken. And it didn't exactly look brand new. And we had just deboned a chicken the night before. Like, we don't buy things unless we are going to eat them up. So I have this this chicken that pops into existence from nowhere. And the thing, Mark, that made that really awkward for me is because I've been working on this entry for the Gettysburg congregation that we visited. And it's on the existence of God. And I'm really counting on spontaneous generation not existing and therefore proving that there is a creator. But yet, so this this baked chicken in my fridge is throwing me off like to the foundations. Yes. And of course, our listeners probably know all about Bella and her love of chicken. Oh, Bella the Wonder Cat. And Bella could probably eat a Costco chicken like a weekly basis. So... It's interesting. Before I went on the errands, I wanted to meet some people next door. Okay, so that's about the time I'm popping into the shower. Yeah, and they just happened to be on the porch, so I go up there and talk, and they're getting ready to leave and head back to the valley, and they just like, do you want this chicken? Okay. And I'm going like, well, Bella could eat one of those about once a week. That explains it, so I'm glad that I don't have to change my worldview. We can keep going with these podcast there is a god and there's no such thing as things popping into existence and that's how we know either something or someone has always been from eternity and we know boy based on the intelligent design all day every day this has got to be the result of a creator so marky marks are you ready for first peter chapter three yeah pretty much the section we're going to be at is going to deal with marriage and the first part particularly a a christian married to a non-christian man All right, very good. So I will go ahead and read verses 1 through 8. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you too have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, so we'll stop there and pick up with verse 8 at our next podcast. So, Mark, what are your initial thoughts here? Well, we start with the same way. So we're following a theme from the previous chapter where we're expected to be in submission to the governing authorities. Oh, yes. Uh huh. And also where slaves were expected to be in submission to their masters, even masters that were not really 
nice people. Mm. And so now we kind of follow that theme. And here we have wives. They're told to be submissive to their own husbands, which is an important point, not like submissive to somebody else's husband. And it says, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that is, the word here would be the gospel. They've reached a point like, I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm not interested in the gospel, not interested in becoming a Christian. And then at that point, what the woman does, because he's already heard mm-hmm. the, the information, he's heard the evidence, at that point then, you just consistently continue to live the Christian life. That is, you win them over by your behavior. Mm-hmm. But going back here, one thing is, many people would say, that most of the people in the first century in this culture, and I'm not talking about the church, I'm just talking about Roman culture, Greek culture, would be surprised that Peter's addressing women at all. Mm -hmm. See, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit views them as free moral agents. Peter does not say, I talk to you women, but you know, we can't expect much of you, and so we're just going to let things slide. Rather, it is you're held to the same moral standard that everybody else is held to, mm-hmm. even if you find yourself in not an ideal situation. Yes, I believe there's nothing more that has raised women than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, because it places men and women on an equal plane spiritually before God. Uh, you see that in verse 7 fellow heirs. And not only that, but leading up to the gospel, you find the worthy woman of Proverbs 31. I found it's interesting in the Old Testament when it talks about love between a man or a woman, at least that couple passages I can think of, the man is kind of in charge of making sure she's happy. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 24. There's a full-time job for you, yeah. Mark Dunnigan. <laughs> and then Ecclesiastes 9. It's his job to give happiness to the woman that he loves all the fleeting days of his life, Ecclesiastes 9.9. So it would be wrong to say that Christianity set women back. It would be right, as you Mm -hmm, noted, mm -hmm. that what set back was a pagan, secular, godless culture. Right. And what elevated them was, like Genesis says, she's made in the image of God as much as the man is. Well, and the fact that as Christians, we are living out the fruits of the Spirit. There's nothing better for a marriage than the fruits of the Spirit, and nothing worse than the deeds of the flesh. So, Mark, I'm curious where it says in the same way, and you had brought out, you know, like servants and masters, but also the way that Christ was doing the will of the Father. I think that example also was brought out. Uh, It's interesting how... Submission, when properly done, is an incredibly strong thing. It's not a weak thing, because yeah. here, here you have a, a godly, talented, smart woman here, and the husband's being foolish, rejecting the gospel. Mm, right. But she's not to become resentful, and she's not supposed to make life incredibly difficult for him now and, and take revenge. <laughs> but rather, it's set the best example you can. And that's something that takes a lot of strength and courage. Oh, I'll say. When you're actually living better than the other person, but you're expected to to help them, which means you need to set the best example to them, and you need to remain godly, mm-hmm. uh, virtuous, patient, have a joyful attitude, mm-hmm. all the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I also wanted to take the time to point out the parallel passage that's in Ephesians 5, 21 through 32, because I think there is something that plays into this that I think would be really, really helpful for our listeners, because it shows the concept that submission is actually a universal one rather than exclusive 
to wives. So it starts out there in Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So that to me is an important verse to also bring in here just to show that submission is something that we've always done. Like we submit to the government. We submit to the elders, you know, we submit to our employer. And so it's not so outrageous, this concept that a wife would submit to her husband, especially given the fact that the husband has been submitting to the desires of his wife all day, every day, in a lot of cases, a lot of healthy Christian marriages, there's a lot of as you wish going on, you know, like whenever he can, he's like, he's making his wife happy. So he is submitting himself to her in that way. And so really, there's a lot of reasons to embrace this very, very healthy dynamic that is of God, of wives submitting to their husbands. I've been doing it for 43 years, and it is a good, good thing. And the, the thing that makes it good is, as Ephesians 5 continues, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And so I think about that, Mark, you know, we joke sometimes, I'll, I'll tease you about being my ticket to happiness or, you know, Mark to the rescue and that kind of thing. And that's really also what the husband is for the wife. You know, Jesus is the savior of our souls, but husbands are there to get you out of a tight spot left and right. So that's why I believe that scripture goes on to say, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Here's the dynamic. It goes on to say, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing through the water of the word. And I think, Mark, isn't that another element of being a husband is helping her become all she can be in the sight of God. Yeah, that there's a sanctifying, Mm -hmm. a nourishing, cherishing influence there. And when you look at that, it's like, whoa. Boy, both husbands and wives have a tall order. Uh, yeah. And it really takes maturity to do both of those well, because there is a leading, there is a male leading that's ugly, but there's also a female subjection that's ugly too, when, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to get you back on it, or there's going to be a payback, a kind of a grudging, a yeah. grudging sort of thing. And when it's done right, when a man leads properly, and the woman is there as a helpmeet properly, that's an art form. Mm-hmm. But it takes people of character to do that right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the healthiest dynamic is when the husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church. And so he's doing all these sacrifices for her that is causing her to feel such gratitude that she's just waiting for that opportunity to say thank you back by letting the husband have his turn of you know getting his preference in this and that. So that would be the best dynamic, kind of a circle of honor. Yeah, or a spiral, where you spiral up. Toward growth, exactly. All right, so back to the text there then in First Peter chapter 3. And so we says, got a wife who's got married to a rebellious husband. Yeah, or, um, and uh, yeah, I've heard it. I'm not interested. And at that point, I think this verse kicks in. Okay, now live it before him. Mm. But you've already told him. You've already had communications on this point. Mm-hmm. Yes. The wife of a husband who is disobedient to God is here, I believe, Mark, relieved of the burden of verbally convincing him to do otherwise, but instead is to win him through what follows. I say, observe your pure and respectful 
behavior. That word observe, I think, is important because sometimes we might be tempted to think that we're being ignored, that, mm. well, no one's really watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just kind of a, I'm just an average, a regular Christian, okay? Yeah. And I'm just a regular person, average person. And yet the word there means to look attentively. Mm. And so the Christian life is being examined, scrutinized, watched, and it's being eyed by that husband. I know a lot of times the world often claims we're not paying attention to you Christians, mm. but actually the opposite is true. So you are being observed. And the fact, Mark, that he can observe your pure and respectful behavior means that she has not followed him into impurity. Because a lot of times an unbelieving husband will try to convince his wife to do something that would lead her to impurity. And I'm talking pornography and that kind of thing. And so here's an area where you are not going to (laughs) submit to your husband if he suggests that. It's not good for him. It's not good for you. Instead, you're going to be that consistent example of pure and respectful behavior. And he comes over to your side and eventually, Lord willing, you know, sees the wisdom of those kinds of decisions. Clearly the text, and also like when it will say, uh, submit to your husband as to the Lord, it's made very clear that you do not blindly follow him into evil or unbelief, mm-hmm. and that you know you always side with God first. So it's interesting that here we have the recipe, instead of being worn down, worn mm. down by an unbelieving mate, yeah. that you actually, like Romans says, you actually overcome the evil with good. That is, you use the good to wear them down, and I think sometimes we forget about that, is good, virtue, etc., is an incredibly powerful force. It is so powerful, even more powerful than the perfect words or yelling or whatever. Good behavior wins the day for sure. So chase would be pure, and I think that includes like motive and just your whole life, just a very pure heart. You're not a manipulator on and on. Mm-hmm. You don't have one foot in the world and one foot with God. Also, the word respectful, I think, would have to be you respect God, and also, even though he's an unbeliever, you're careful about respecting him. Doesn't mean you follow him blindly, but it does mean that you would speak to him like someone that you would want to save, Mm -hmm. someone that has value. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of those places that even non-Christians can see the value and truthfulness of biblical principles, because even the non-Christian appreciates respect. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are your thoughts about your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel? What are your thoughts just on that first? Well, section? that's just a really cool verse, because it looks like that what the Holy Spirit is anticipating is a lot of times we go in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, how am I going to win this person? Seduce them into doing yeah, the right yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of worldly carnal methods, yeah. you know? And so I appreciate the translators in italics, the word merely is there. And clearly that's what's being told here is that, first of all, this is not forbidding adornment. And this is not forbidding a ponytail or any jewelry because if it did that, then you couldn't even wear a dress. But the thought is that the right way to win this man is not to use the tactics of the culture around you. Mm-hmm. And that's a mistake that both men and women make. Yeah. Here's the way I'm going to attract a mate. You know, I'm going to use the wrong 
things to attract them. And so I really appreciate Holy Spirit reminding us here, don't make the same mistake that many other people have made in this area. That is, I'm going to put the emphasis on the physical and the material, and I'm going to try to rely upon charm and beauty. Mm-hmm. Men do the same thing. Men, you know, I'm going to get the car and, you know, I'm, I'm going to get the right cologne or whatever and the sharp clothes and... Um, that's the way I'm going to get the right woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you're just going to attract someone just as superficial <laughs> yeah. as you are. Yeah. So verse four says, but it should be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Interesting phrase. I would say the hidden person of the heart is like the inner man. Like the spirit. The spirit, the soul. There's a sense that you do see that person. That's you, true. You see it their shines behavior. Through. Yeah. yeah. But you don't see the spirit in its spirit form. Right. How about that? Yeah. The word imperishable, I think, is really important because uh, to me, the inference is clothes, jewelry, all the emphasis on the external and even your youth and even your physical beauty, Mm -hmm. that's all perishable. Yep. And so if you're relying upon that, the trouble is that's all going to fade with time. But it should be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. So, Mark, I was thinking about this uh, phrase, with the imperishable quality. Or the lasting charm, someone says. That's kind of neat. Well, it's reminding me, we said that, you know, this hidden person of the heart is the spirit. And so I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 4.16 that says that... We are renewed day by day. So yes, on the outside, we're aging day by day. But this kind of woman with a gentle and quiet spirit, she is ageless in a way on the inside because in the Lord, her spirit is renewed day by day. Yeah. These are not verses that are against taking care of yourself and a good diet and exercise. But I had some notes here that said, after a while, no amount of exercise or whatever can hide the aging process of the human body. I mean... Well, and I like that the examples of it, like braiding the hair. So back in this culture, braiding of the hair was this very fancy thing. It took a long time. Oh, you know, yeah. you'd pay somebody a lot to do it, and it was ornate. But now, <laughs> braiding of the hair is really equated with one of the most humble things that a woman could do with her hair. Pull it back in a braid. It's a little bit country, that kind of thing. So I like that the examples that are given indicate that this is not you know, hard and fast rules. This is a principle of showiness. And you may have different grooming trends in your culture that's kind of a showiness that you would want to avoid. And I'm not going to get specific on that because I don't, you know, if you give one example, it kind of excludes all the others that could be applied. But, you know, and just the fact that it said putting on of dresses. Well, in our culture, that's actually more of a sign of what the most modest women would do. They do like an almost floor length dress, that kind of thing. So it just shows that it is a principle here of focusing on inner beauty. That's a great point on the braiding of the hair because that might throw some people off. But as you said, women would have like ships braided into their hair. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it really got it really got to the point of, uh, you know. But then it says a gentle and quiet spirit. And I think it's really important there what those terms mean because mm-hmm. I think too many people view that as, well, that's just a woman who doesn't say anything and hides in the background and is like a little mouse. The word, though, quiet, though, means tranquil. So she's talking. Yeah, but it means that she's calm and she's peaceful. It would be the opposite of a woman that's restless, nervous, disturbed, 
distracted, you know, like, oh, what am I going to do about my husband? You know, and, and mm. even even worldly women can, like, be f- flighty. Okay. And, okay. and, like, where they can't concentrate. Uh-huh. And th- this Unsettled, is... Unsettled, yeah. And so I really like the idea of gentle. Gentle here does not mean a pushover. Gentle here, as in many places, gentle here means... She's strong, mm-hmm. incredibly strong, but she's not going to use her strength to destroy him. Right. So she's taking good care of the heart of her husband. She's skillfully brandishing the art of persuasion. And so it's such a contrast to Proverbs 7, 11 and 9, 13, where we see a brash, boisterous kind of shock talk of the of a foolish woman right so that's the opposite and that's so trendy right now mark yeah and that's also so trendy right now usually women like that though are they're not peaceful they're not calm they're um raging yeah and they have to keep themselves distracted by different things mm-hmm. and there's a um there's an awkwardness there they just can't like look in the eye and have a good conversation with you mm-hmm. they got to keep it superficial And I really like this because this is a woman who, yeah, her husband's not a believer. That's a hard situation. But guess what? That's not throwing her off her game. Mm -hmm. She doesn't need a drink and she's not doing anything else like that. Is that she's calm and collected. Mm -hmm. And that's precious in the sight of God. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons why it's precious, verse 5 says, for in this way, the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have proved to be your children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So a number of women have done this. So, so this this is mm-hmm. a um, it's doable. holy woman. It's definitely doable. Notice they hoped in God. Mm, not in their ability to outtalk him. Yeah, and I think that's really a key is that that was their anchor there. So, I mean, this is an incredibly strong woman here holding up under a difficult situation, and she's not falling apart, and she's not nervous, and she's not worrying, and she's calm and collected, Mm -hmm. and she has very wise things to say, Mm -hmm. and she's keeping life together, and there's this wonderful track record of women like that. And Sarah went through hard things too. So this is addressing a woman who's going through a very hard thing. Sarah went through some very, very stressful things and she was still not frightened by any fear. Interesting, it says she obeyed Abraham. And I'm going like, well, when did Sarah obey Abraham? And I would have to say, well, when God told Abraham to leave his homeland, yeah, that was Sarah leaving her people too. But Mark, is it okay that she calls him Lord? Could you explain to us why that's okay? Clearly, it's not recognizing his, him as God, right? I have a lowercase l yes. in my translation. And I think, I think it's simply she recognized his authority mm-hmm. as her husband. It's the same thing that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. Mm-hmm. And she, she recognized that. There's an expression here is that you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And I've kind of pondered that, well, like, what fear without mm. being frightened by any fear? Okay. And, and th- there's another translation would be like panic. And I think a worldly woman, a woman who's not faithful to God, who finds herself in a situation 
where the husband's not on the same page with her, mm, mm-hmm. that woman can often bolt or panic like, well, I'm not staying in this relationship. Okay. And I, I find here that here we have a woman who has her hope placed in God, not terrified by the situation like, well, what am I going to do? And mm. how is this? She doesn't abandon her faith in order to please him. Mm-hmm. This concept is interesting. And you've proven to be her children if you do what is right. And it was reminding me of Galatians 3 that talks about how we are spiritually the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, I guess, by proxy. And so that's an interesting study in and of itself that we are called because we have the same faith as Abraham when we trust Jesus as our Savior and trust everything that God says, even when we don't understand it or it's difficult, when we trust God at the level that Abraham did and enter into a relationship with God through faith and baptism and and faithful living, that we become spiritual descendants of Abraham and thus recipients of the promises made to Abraham that through him every nation would be blessed you know through him physically the Messiah came and so through him we become his children and Sarah's children when we do what is right and I guess the only other little random thought I wanted to throw out there Mark it's kind of a general observation that when we do what is right that often is a time when we should let our hearts rest. Hey, I did the right thing in this case, and so I'm going to just not let my heart be troubled about the matter any longer. Yes, notice the if. That's a choice we have. There's definitely free will. If you do what is right, which means that all of us are capable of doing what is right. In fact, uh, how to do it is very clear as we've looked at these passages. All right, so if you're ready for verse 7, that says, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. What do you think? Notice now we transition. Now we're talking about husbands who are Christians, and they have an obligation, and he has duties. Mm-hmm. It's not all on the wife. Mm-hmm. And so that word likewise, yes, there may be quite a bit in there that is that there's going to be some similarities of if a man finds himself married to a woman who's mm-hmm. disobedient to the word. Oh, okay. In like manner, he needs to set the best example. In oh, like manner, he makes okay. sure that he doesn't put the emphasis on the physical. In in like manner, he needs to make sure that he is not panicking. Oh. There's going to be some other little differences there because he's not the one in subjection. But... There's going to be some similarities of as far as the way you handle the situation. But immediately we go to live with your wives in an understanding way. Or one translation says, according to knowledge. That's going to help you whether your wife is an unbeliever or a believer. Either way, that is going to work to your advantage. And a person might say, well, well, what's the knowledge under consideration? And you might say, well... Certainly, it should be a knowledge of how marriage works. It should be a married a knowledge of the marriage relationship and that God instituted it and the guidelines for it and how you make a marriage work. But I think equally, it needs to be, well, what sort of woman have I married? That's what it's all about, yes. You cannot study how other wives tick to figure out how your wife ticks because... You have been gifted something 100% unique to you. Like if you're reading some books on marriage, that's good. But be careful about, in those books, sometimes those books have, they make kind of general statements about men and women. And the thing is that the woman you married is her own unique person. 
And she may be different than what the book talks about as far as what she needs or she thinks or how she ticks. And so you need to talk to her about, okay, what makes you feel loved more than anything else? What's mm-hmm. what's important to you? What's valuable to you, et cetera? Just don't assume, and too many of the books assume that, well, she's going to want candy and flowers. There's a number of women. Poor like, Mark. Yeah, that's, no, poor, not, not interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> Just right off the cuff, the most basic thing you think you can assume, candy and flowers, and it's like, nope. And also, no stuffed bears, large or small. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) The other thing that threw us off, I remember initially, too, was, and it's still out there, it's hysterical when people make comedy about it, like the Babylon Bee did this recently, is that, you know, your wife, she just wants, she just needs a listening ear. She's just looking for you to comfort her and listen to her. And if you start offering solutions, she's not going to like that at all. And that's poor Mark. That's not working either, is it, Mark? No, she wants solutions. Oh, that's why I'm talking. I want I want the nail out of my head. Yes. <laughs> How are we going to make this situation change? What ideas do you have? So, yes, don't be thrown off by the books. That's going to take some sitting and talking on the couch on a regular basis, don't you think, honey, for this man to get to know his wife? Yeah, and I think one, one thing, among other things, we've talked about this before, and these are just a couple of subjections. Love language. Mm. The book on love language okay, is yeah. like what makes her feel love. Certainly a number of things are going to make her feel love, but what's the one that makes her feel love more than the others? What's her primary love language? And kind of what sort of personality mm. does she have yeah. too? And not only that, but times on the couch to update, she may have a different feeling about things in her 20s versus in her 40s, 50s, or 60s. True. And so you, you're going to change. You got to kind of allow her to say, you know, that was important then or whatever, but things have kind of shifted yeah. a little bit here. <laughs> so you can, you can have her all figured out and be dwelling with her in an understanding way, and she's going to change lanes on you. So you just got to keep up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and it's enjoyable. Uh, j- just count that. It's enjoyable. It keeps it up. interesting. It keeps it interesting. Here's the other thing at play, I think, there on love languages, because it's like, you know, gift giving for some women. It's quality time. Words of affirmation, physical touch. Yep, physical affection. Meaningful service. Yeah, service. So the thing that I think's kind of at play here with this, Mark, is that, and maybe this is unfortunate for men, (laughs) but usually it's going to be the the law of scarcity is at play. So if, if you are good at four out of five of those, You have filled her up and her heart is full, but she's got this one empty corner here of the one that maybe you're not so skilled at. And so she's probably going to say that's the one she wants. And that's because you've done a good job doing the others. So, you know, if you are the guy writing poetry and writing guitar songs and you're singing her these love songs and you know, she might be like, well, my love language would be like if you could get a job. I mean, that would be awesome if you could financially support the family. <laughs> like he's there for her emotionally and he, she's got his heart. But so it's kind of the thing that you don't have. Little observation, little bonus there. Good observation. We've noted that often men and women get into trouble that when they assume that the needs of their spouse and their own needs are identical. Mm. Um, so they are showing them love in a way that they wish they were being showed love, but in reality, they want to be loved in a different way sometimes. Mm -hmm. It does say, and here's one of the ones, the statement I think really bugs some of the people out there. It says, as with the weaker vessel, but from the verses we just read that we just went through, chapter 3, 1 through 6, 
We already know that she is not morally, intellectually, spiritually, or even emotionally weaker than a husband. Uh Those verses all bear that out because those are not commands that you would give to weak people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's just the reality. Often he is physically stronger than she is. Yeah. But I think also there's this thought that you need to kind of um, value her. Many people have given kind of the you know, the way that you would view a valuable and expensive vase where you would take a little bit more care and caution so it's not broken or cracked. Mm-hmm. Kind of a delicateness, you could say, or something that, yes, is very, very precious, and so you're just going to approach it with a little bit more thought. Good observation. It says grant her honor in its present tense. Keep on honoring her value, esteem, Treat her with respect, and that would include like affirming and kind words, both privately and publicly. It would also include that she's a high priority yeah. in your life with your time. Yeah, I think sometimes there's been out there in different marriage videos, I believe, there's kind of this idea that wives want to be loved and men want to be respected. And I really think that is a false conclusion, like a generalization. No, husbands want to be loved and respected and wives want to be loved and respected. And in this verse, God is saying that the husband is to show her honor. That is respect. Yes. And there's all sorts of ways that you can do that on a practical level. So there's, yeah, the equality here of a fellow heir. So is this talking about her about to inherit eternal life with you in the afterlife? Yeah, heirs equally with yourselves uh, Mm. of the grace of life, a Mm. sharer in God's gracious gift of eternal life, which means that she stands on equal ground before God with yourself. She's a Christian, and God takes any mistreatment against her very personally. Mm -hmm. There's a lot at stake at this, Mark, because look how this verse ends, so that your prayers will not be hindered. (laughs) Well, that's... Wow. I mean, and it's interesting, not every verse has to end with like a happy face. (laughs) Um, Right. That's basically a shot right across your bow of that if you are a hindrance to her spiritually, God is going to disconnect you. Your prayers will not be hindered. And maybe that's the thing that at the end of the day might get that man's attention if nothing else does. Hey, heads up, you've been disconnected. Yeah, I am so offended by how you've been treating your wife. Why should I treat you in a way that you're not willing to treat your wife who's at your mercy? You know, you're at my mercy. Well, guess what? To a degree, she's at your mercy. So... I guess it's really a challenge, Mark, for the husbands that are listening. You know, are things starting to go sideways in your relationship, in your life? Does it seem like the grace of God and his favor upon you, does it seem like it's kind of dissipating right now? How have you been treating your wife? Yeah, that's a good heads up. That's a good thing to look at. It's your job to see to it that she makes it to heaven. Of course, she has her own responsibility there. But the thing is, you're to help her and not be a hindrance on this also important path. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't make it there, then we have failed on every level. Well, hopefully, Mark, this has been a very, very practical podcast for folks listening that are married. And even those that are in their pre-married years, maybe there's some help here of what to look for. I mean, certainly one takeaway is that your life will be much 
less complicated if you marry someone who is a believer. Yeah, marriage is hard enough without adding we have nothing in common eternally and spiritually. Your belief is going to play into your life all and day, everything, every day. Everything you do in ways that you don't even realize right now. It's also like you're looking for the person to date and marry that, do they respect me? Do they grant me honor? And as I'm dating them, are they treating me as a fellow heir of the grace of life? Well, Mark Dunnigan, I guess it's time to wind this podcast down. And I'll just say thank you for 43 years of dwelling with me in an understanding way. I know it hasn't been easy at times. It is a windy road. We'll figure this out. Update. The update this year. Yes, yes. Today's, Cindy, the 2023 model. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us for Nomads, you and I. God bless.